Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlaw, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. My guest on this episode is Elizabeth DeMariafi. Elizabeth is the author of four books, including the short story collection How to Get Along with Women, published by Invisible Books, and the literary thrillers The Devil You Know, Hysteria, and The Retreat, all published by HarperCollins Canada. The Retreat, which was published in 2021, is about a dancer who travels to an arts retreat in the mountains, in part to escape some emotional demons. She gets trapped there by a deadly storm, and very soon, the bodies start piling up. The Toronto Star said that the retreat shines at once thoughtful and chilling, familiar and unsettling. In our conversation, Elizabeth talks about the advantages of working in and around book publishing when you are publishing a book, the dangers of letting people see your works in progress too early, and a problematic new demand of authors trying to promote their books, video content. Listeners of this podcast can win a free copy of The Retreat. Listen to my conversation with Elizabeth DeMariafi to find out how. We missed a, a significant anniversary in your career. Your yeah. first book is uh, a decade old. How does that feel? Uh, it's, I've actually been thinking about it. Um, and I was thinking about it uh, just recently because I was reading Jen Sukfang Lee's book, uh, Superfan. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, and she talks, it's, it's, I'm trying to remember, I'm not going to get the numbers exactly right, but at some point in one of the essays in that book, it's a book of essays, she's talking about her own career, and she talks about realizing she had published, I think, three books in, I don't remember if it's in nine years or in 11 years or something like that, and how all of a sudden she realizes how much she's been working and and what that, you know, how how hard that is. And I've been feeling a little burnt out post-pandemic. And I went, oh, I actually have published four books in 10 years. And no wonder I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's not, that doesn't, that doesn't sound very celebratory, but it actually made me feel like really relieved. I was like, oh, I've been really busy. That's why you feel it, like it allowed you to forgive yourself a little bit for feeling burnt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, and and uh, you know, my publishing experiences have been really vastly different, and um, and I still really like that book. It's nice because I work for um, a, an arts and culture journal, uh, like a literary journal now. And one of the things it's like my job to do the contract, so I get to contact people and say, oh, you know, we're so pleased to publish your short story or or, or whatever. Um, and I, in the last, it's a new job for me, but in the last couple of issues, I've had three short story writers who have responded to me, um, and also said, I, I just have to tell you, I saw your name and I really loved how to get along with women. And, um, and that's been really oh, nice that to, to know that the book still has life after 10 years, that, that it's remembered. And certainly, you know, among other people writing short stories, this little, very small club. <laughs> right. I want to talk about that, actually, the whole idea of like these four books over 10 years. And I also want to talk about um, your most recent book, The Retreat, and how that felt different from the previous the previous three books. But I do want to go back again to that to that first book. And what did it feel like as you were putting that book together? And at what point did you start to say like, oh, this is actually a book. This is a a um, complete thing that I can put out in the world. You know, I had been doing my MFA um, 
so I did that MFA between 2007 and 2009 and about half I came into the program as a poet and but you have to take another another genre so I took short fiction kind of like just because I had to and suddenly realized that this made sense to me like I really understood it in a way that I didn't understand like if I write a poem and it turns out well I'm not sure I can explain to you why the poem is good right but I know why a story is good like I know how to like I or I know better anyway how to do that or I understand it better um so I had this like initial uh, uh affinity for it so now all I want to do is write short stories right um I came into it quite naively because it's not like I'd been writing stories forever um but I was uh in my mid thirties, I was at the time a newly single mom. I felt a lot of pressure to get this on the go if I was going to do it. Um, so I was writing stories in a really engaged, obsessive manner. And the way I knew I had a book was I had 11 stories. <laughs> um, I had 11 stories and I had been introduced to an agent who liked them and in fact the the collection itself is actually 12 stories because in in the between time uh I had written another one and you know once I had arranged things with the publisher who was Invis invisible publishing um I said I actually have a 12th story <laughs> can we put that in too so um so you know it, it's sort of a um, I think a more a more innocent way to go about it um but yeah, that those were all the stories I had. And so they were a book, but they were written in a, a truncated period of time. Um, they all came out of a very similar experience. And it was the first time I had had a chance to take a breath. And I think, you know, spend some time looking back on things that had happened. You know, there's, you know, the stories are not autobiographical, but there are certainly autobiographical elements to those stories, right? So there are, you know, uh, moments in all of them that uh, were things that I was, you know, really thinking about, thinking about things that had happened when I was 18 or 19. That was that experience, uh, which is quite different from what it's like to sit down and write a novel now. Right. And but in terms of like, you're thinking about what makes a book and how a book gets put together, it was almost almost as much a question of quantity as quality. It was like, I've okay, I've filled this bucket. Let's put that bucket <laughs> out there now. That's exactly. how a book gets put together. <laughs> Well, and, and it wasn't like the books are thematically very linked, like, I'm mean, sorry, the stories in that book are thematically very linked. I think it really holds up as a collection. I think it stands well together. But that is because I was writing them all at once. And I was in this moment of, um, yeah, like energetic, obsessive short story writing. Um, so they kind of came out of that energy together, which is different from me sitting down and going, OK, I'm now going to plan a book of short stories. It wasn't planned. It was just like, I wanted to to write so badly, right? I want to suggest a counterfactual, mm. uh, like an alternate history of Elizabeth de Mariafi. What do you think would have happened if someone like an agent, an editor, a fellow writer, a professor at the MFA had said, Elizabeth, these are great stories. What if you were to take them away and make a novel out of them? Like, what if you were to take a year or take a year and a half to actually link them? Do you think you would have, you know, kicked that person in the crotch <laughs> and then run away? Or would you have considered it? And and looking back now, do you think that was even possible? Do you think you had the mechanical skills the, to, to have done that? Yeah, I don't think those 12 stories 
could be a novel. I mean, unless I really sort of goon squatted them somehow, mm -hmm. you know, could maybe there would have been a way. I don't think that's what that project should have been. Um, certainly, you know, everyone in the industry loves a novel um, and they want to hear that you're writing a novel. And uh, so one of the things that, um, you know, one of the, the, I think it's the first story in that collection had literally come out of writing exercises I was doing in my MFA. And, um, and it's a kind of a triptych story. And that one story, could that one story have become a sort of a Canlet coming of age novel for sure. Um, and in fact, uh, I have gone back, like when I went to write my novel, I did go back and think a lot about expanding. Um, and it, it's not an expansion, but um, I guess tonally or voice-wise, there's a story in that collection that that was very connected to my first novel. I think it's really lucky that nobody said that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, do you know what I mean? Because it's so hard to not take advice. And I find it yes. hard today, right? I find it hard today. And um, one of the the weird lessons I've learned in the last year is um, the industry really wants to get their thumbs in early. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I have, I had not done that previously. And I did that with the novel that I'm working on now. And it, uh, it made a mess. I'm going to be honest with you. It was a bad decision. It was a bad decision to let people read early. It was a bad decision to take feedback early. Uh, and I would never do it again. Um, oh, so that's my advice. <laughs> <laughs> four bucks in don't you know you have to you have to uh the project has to be yours first right yeah um, before there's that start. whole Steve that whole Stephen King thing that he talks about the closed door drafts like you keep yeah. the door closed and then at some point once you're ready you can open the door let the readers in let the vice you know we both have many writer friends a lot of friends in common but I've had writer friends who would send me their daily work like if they were somewhere working on a novel, they would send me the 600 words they did that morning. And I, I would be like, cool, <laughs> but what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is the worst thing you could possibly, like, this is the most vulnerable you could possibly make yourself uh, in a very bad way. Um, if you want me to say, keep going, keep going. But I, I, I don't want to critique this at any, on any level. Yeah. And I think, I think when I first started writing, I had an impulse that was like that. And what I really wanted to hear was keep going. Yes. Right. And I, I still feel that way. Like what I actually need um, in those moments is to show somebody uh, the work and have them be engaged and interested and like the voice and like the rest of it doesn't really matter at that stage because it has mm -hmm. to be rewritten so many times anyway um, that, you know, but uh, um, and I, I know I'm allowed to say this because she talks about it publicly. Uh, Lisa Moore is like that. Lisa Moore like will wants people to read stuff like right away. <laughs> oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and Lisa's a terrific writer, uh, mm. you know, she's a, 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 a very gifted writer. Um, and there's also a real difference between sending something to your friend who's also a writer and sending it to the person who's going to pay you to be a writer. And I think- yes then we start to get into some shady ground. So, and, and which is not to say that there were not good intentions all around. There are always good intentions all around, but in terms of like a novel is so much work, you have to love it. You have to love it so much. And if you stop loving it, then, you know, it sort of falls in the mud. It doesn't look. Yeah. Good. I always say like one of the best experiences I ever had was working for an agent for a few years and watching the, you know, the sausage get made at that level 
And I can remember, I don't remember who the writer was and I don't remember the book, but I remember a writer coming in and uh, the agent saying something like, oh, I really love where, you, where you're going with this. What if we made the main character a railway conductor? Because I know there were a lot of those in that era. And the author going, yeah, okay, yeah, I see that. And all I could think was that, you know, run, get out of here, run, get out of this room. Like just, <laughs> this is the person you want handling your business yeah. and your contracts, not what your characters are and how they relate to each other. But it was a yeah. good lesson to sort of, as what you were saying, like, if you let them, people will put their thumbs on the scales for, with good intentions. Like yeah, they want, no. they feel they know what, where the scales should go. So they will put the thumbs on. For sure, for sure. And like, I'm very lucky in uh, my agent, my agent, Sam Haywood, and Sam always does like early reads uh, with me. And I think she really gets me, like she gets what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, it's difficult because the industries, you know, industry people, um, publishers uh, are very aware of what sells, um, except when they're not. You know, because uh, every few years it changes and we, yes. and, and we're all surprised, you know? So if you, if you, you have to surprise yourself sometimes too, you know, but I, I feel like I'm like, uh, I'm like getting back to my roots now where I'm like, no one's going to look at anything. Right. <laughs> I'm just butting in here to let you know how you can win a free copy of The Retreat by Elizabeth DeMariaffi, courtesy of HarperCollins Canada. Go to nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send a message with the subject line, The Retreat Giveaway. That's nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send a message with the subject line, The Retreat Giveaway for a chance to win a free copy. I'll do a draw on Saturday, May 20th for the winner. So send your message before then. When that first book came out, what did it feel like? What were your expectations? Where were you in your head? I, I think I felt pretty grounded. You know, short stories are hard to sell. Um, the feedback had been very good. I'd had um, one very well-known editor um, sort of make an off the, like called me at home actually, like looked up my, you know, this would have been 2011. So I had a landline called me at home on a Saturday morning to say that they had just read the manuscript and they loved it and they were definitely going to publish it and uh, and so on and so forth. And then obviously went and had a conversation with their publisher who decided not to do that. Mm. So I'd had this like weird experience <laughs> of like, um, you know, sort of a shell game <laughs> right, experience. Right. Um, with it and uh, and we were trying to sort of shop it around with a one-page synopsis for a novel you know because that's what they tell you to do and and so on and so forth so um, you know I ended up going with uh, this indie press invisible which at the time was lesser known than they are today um, and and a friend of mine um, who had been working for Coach House said to me very realistically and it was a great thing to hear at the time when she said you know Elizabeth short stories sell worse than poetry and it's important to know that because poetry has its fan base that buys poetry but fiction uh writers uh, sorry fiction readers buy novels so mm -hmm. it's this very specific niche market for short stories 
So I sort of came into it and went, okay, I mean, like I'd been publishing in journals and I was just happy to have this book out and, and do the next thing, whatever it was. Like I was trying to just do this thing. Um, and I had a wonderful publishing experience with Invisible as an indie press. They were extremely good to me. Um, very creative from start to finish in, in the ways that they thought about marketing the book. Um, the book did get reviews. You know, this is only 10 years ago, but there were more spaces for review 10 right. years ago than there are today. There was a print national post that I, you know, I got a great review in. And um, so, you know, I, I felt pretty good about the whole thing. I'm going to be honest with you. Like it, it, it did feel good. And, um, and I, uh, partially because I'd been working freelance and otherwise in, um, in book publicity, you know, I was able to sort of, like, I had some people's emails. So I was able to, mm -hmm. um, to push the book a little bit myself. Um, you know, I was uh, in a new partnership with uh, the man who's now my husband, who's a writer. So, you know, um, that was actually very uh, beneficial, because it's very easy to have a writing couple come to a festival, you only have to pay for one hotel room. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, so, you know, we did a little bit of stuff like that. I, I felt that overall, it did quite well for an indie press book of short stories. And by the way, I've, I've been the plus one with those book festivals. <laughs> I've been the prince consort. So I know exactly. I'm happy to happy to ride coattails. If it, if it, if it means a free hotel room, I'm always a little worried when I see people kind of going into publishing a book where they have zero idea of what the industry, how it actually works at any level. They just think there's this editor that loves you and they want to put everything into your book and then everyone will love you. And that's how the world works. They put your book out and you're a star. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's been part of my expectation all the way along. Um, uh, so when that book came out, I had I was a few months into a a job that I did full time for a few years as uh, marketing and publicity at Breakwater Books, which is an independent out here in St. John's. I was just in the process of moving out here. And what I often tell emerging writers, especially if you're publishing something like short stories, is an independent publisher is going to actually give you a much better experience, likely. Um, because they're working so hard on their brand too. You know what I mean? So that, that, that everything, there's a lot of energy. I find there's a lot of energy in, in indie publishing. Um, but I have never stopped uh, working publicity on my own books. Um, mm, and I've yeah. published one book with an indie and three books with HarperCollins. Um, and that's not to say HarperCollins doesn't do work. They do. But one of the things that I think writers, new writers are surprised about when I tell them is you also like you, you can't you, do, you can't just publish a book and expect the publisher to, to do everything and ba 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 and it's fantastic. Uh, there's a lot of books like there's a lot of books here. It's a it's a lot of competition and um, it's a lot of work and and the marketing publicity part of it is a different kind of work than writing. And for many writers, it doesn't come naturally um, and it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. Mm. I don't know what to tell you. Um, it also so, can feel it can feel icky, like to be perfectly yeah. honest. Like it can feel a little icky to say, like, hey, I mean, some writers clearly uh revel in it a bit, but it can feel icky to be the to post the fourth review quote of the week, going like, hey, look how cool I am. Or yeah, and I think you just have to own it, right? Yeah. And it is hard. Uh I think it's valuable advice to to give is to say, hey, I am a writer. I've also worked the other side of the industry. Now I haven't worked, um, you know, I, I do freelance editing, but but my job jobs have all been in marketing and publicity. But I think that's what uh, people get worried about is marketing and publicity. And um, 
you know, like this is not realistic. It's not realistic to think that you're going to have a first book and get sent everywhere. Um, when I published my first novel, which was with a big house, which did have a big announcement, um, another writer who was uh, very established and very famous said to me that their breakout novel, they had bought 50 copies and sent them out as review copies themselves and sent them out mm. to festivals themselves. Um, and I did it. I did the same thing. I was like, yeah, let's do it. Like whatever I have to do, but that's not what people expect. It's not what, what new writers necessarily, I should say, you know, some people know, know a little bit more about it, but people don't expect to hear that. And I'm like, yeah, I send I send out copies. I send out copies and notes and social media posts and right. I make annoyance right. of myself. It is. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. It's always good to remember that you are just part of a big wash of stuff in that even if you've posted three times about the same review, someone might only see one as they're seeing like 40 pictures of someone's dog or someone's yeah. new baby or, you know, a sunset. Like, it's not like someone's only getting posts from you and therefore go and then going like, my God, we get it. You got a book. Like the only person that's feeling saturated is you. <laughs> yes. That's a great yeah. way of putting it. So one of the things I'm, I'm, I, that, I'm really interested in and, and that this whole podcast is kind of about is what I'm I've called the kind of cooling off period. Basically that moment when you realize your book isn't new. Yeah. How was it with the first book and how has it been with subsequent books? Was there, were you expecting that or was it, was it a shock the first time or, you know, were you already into something else and were like, everything is gravy? <laughs> um no, I think it's hard. And I think that the the life of what is new is short. It's much shorter mm -hmm. than you think it should be. It's about six weeks. Um, and because there's just such a, a big fast, like we love everything fast now, right? So um, it's a short cycle. Um, with my first book, I don't think that I noticed it as much. My first book was specifically planned to come out the 1st of October, which is the very beginning of the book cycle year because um, it means it's eligible for the next year's awards yeah. and it allows for a slow burn. Um, it allows for the book to sell by word of mouth. It allows for booksellers to become interested in it. Um, as I said, we, we did do some, you know, we did We're on the Street in Vancouver. Um, you know, I did, uh, the press was uh, based in Halifax at the time. I did some stuff in Halifax, um, you know, through the fall. And then, you know, we came through Christmas and, you know, Christmas, you know, as again, it was, a, it was a book of short stories. I didn't expect too much of it. Um, and then, you know, there was a bit of a cooling off period, but by that time I was, um, I'd had a lot of change in my life and I was really focused on trying to get a novel written while uh people still remembered who I was right mm. you know what I mean like I, I yes. just felt like I needed to get the novel written and I and had this idea for a novel that I'd been sitting on for a long time and then it's subsequent books every book is a little bit different um yeah I've had books come out in like sort of January February March and those are all good times too you know sometimes you get a little bit of a longer life because then you start to get into spring festival season and fall festival season so you get these sort of sporadic bumps which is really nice uh, you know and it's it's nice to feel that there's a little bit of a longer life for a book did you come up with any kind of survival tactics for getting through that that period the sort of rope bridge period where you're between two uh two cliffs of books where you you just have to like make it across 
I mean, I think it's good to have uh, to have an idea of a new project. The publishing process is so much slower than many people think it is. So like you've put a book for me as a writer, I've signed off on it six months probably before it's used press. Um, so that means I've I've already had almost six months of downtime. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. so there's been anticipation and pre-publicity and stuff like that. But in terms of what I'm thinking about story-wise, I think in every case, I have already been at least thinking about probably already working on another project um, or, or you know, learning a different thing, right? So I, I um, between my first and second novels, I sort of did some screenwriting mentorship and, and stuff like that. And that was also really good for me. Like, it was just good to do something really different and sort of you know, feel like I was new to it. And um, not that, you know, every novel is like new and every novel is a gigantic challenge. So it's not like I'm looking for new hard stuff, but. You want, I, I saw a quote from um, an interview you did, I think around the time of the first book, actually, where you said, you know, a good rule of writing is once you have 60 pages, you have to keep going. Do you still kind of yeah. abide by that? Like once you're, once you're that deep in, you've made some kind of emotional commitment to, to finishing. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, that is true. Um, the the book I'm working on right now has in some ways been the weirdest, longest slog because I actually have two different books that are at different stages at the moment. And, um, and for the first time I have considered just, okay, maybe that one just doesn't get written. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe that maybe that was I don't know maybe not maybe not um so yeah but I think for me generally speaking getting to about 60 pages is a really nice watershed um where you are sort of and the first 60 pages is like the fun easy part <laughs> right <laughs> for 75 pages right um you know it's the it's the premise and um uh that's the job I wish I had right like I that's the like that's the job I'm looking for the job I'm looking for is called just the premise yeah. <laughs> it's all just world building and it's and just introducing yeah. here's the characters and here's a situation all right now take it away next person on the computer yada ball. yada yada yeah exactly and big finish yeah, uh, send me the check when it comes out uh so so I think if you can power through those first yeah, 60 or 75 pages and 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 have fun with it and feel energetic about it, um, then it will give you the energy and enthusiasm to do the actual hard work, which is act two. The retreat came out in 2021, which was probably in a weird time of like, are we open? Are we open a crack? What was that like in terms of, you know, planning for any kind of events, planning for any kind of publicity, planning for getting to meet readers? What, did you just decide, I'm not going to meet anybody on this one? Yeah, it was, it was really tricky. Um, you know, we were into the pandemic, um, you know, when I was doing this sort of extra working on the book with editors and so on and so forth so like I knew but you don't know how long anything's going to last and initially initially you know I would say to people well 12 to 18 months and there were so many people who were like oh it won't last that long <laughs> <laughs> um so the book came out July 2021 um 
in Canada and the States. And so one of the things that made it tricky was that up until Omicron, I would say, our experience uh, where I live in St. John's, Newfoundland is, uh, was quite different. Like we had uh, many fewer lockdowns uh, mm. than, than you did in Ontario, for instance. So things were sort of semi-open here, um, but they were not open anywhere else. And I knew that there wasn't going to be, you know, in-person festivals. There really wasn't anything like that that year. Um, so what we did for a launch was we did a virtual launch and I just, uh, I tried to make it as fun as possible. Um, but I'm, I'm going to talk about the upsides and downsides in just a second. We did a, a virtual launch where I partnered with a restaurant, um, a really great restaurant in town called Terre, and their uh, manager helped me design a cocktail kit. Um, oh, nice. We, so we ran like a, a little um, pre-launch contest, um, and I mailed these cocktail kits out to people, and then on the night of the launch, you know, all my sort of special guests had um, one of these retreat cocktails and and uh, and it was it was fun and i and you know um stacy may files uh interviewed me for the launch uh amy stewart uh came in gurjinder basaran came in um it was a really it was a it was a and so the silver lining is i could not have got all those people necessarily into the same room for an in-person launch certainly not in st john's and probably not even in toronto because mm. gurjinder's out in vancouver um but, uh, you know, the downside of all of that was starting from well before the book was published until well after it was published, I got a million requests from both my publishers and from festivals that were, can you make a short video of yourself doing this? Can you make a short video of yourself talking mm -hmm. about that? And I did go into it with a, a fair amount of energy. And when you talk about feeling like saturated or overexposed, uh, just like posting quotes, I mean, like, you know, I, I'm actually like, I'm really happy to do a thing like this where we're talking and it's mostly just voices, but constantly putting yourself on film is not really what I got into writing to do. <laughs> um, and it felt very, um, I didn't even realize how tiring it was and how, right. um, and like, it's, it's a lot of the burnout I'm feeling now. And I've only, right. Like I'm just coming to terms with that now. And we're almost two years later um, because it was a lot of like uh, being somebody that's not really me. Like I don't, I don't have a TikTok channel. I don't do that on purpose. That's not really a thing I do, even though I see that it works, right? Like I see writers who are very good at Instagram reels and, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm only good at Instagram when it comes to baking or like pets. Um, yeah. So I found that really hard. And um and then there was this other piece of it that that I've had slim public conversations on Twitter, actually, with other writers about, which was this weird thing about the festivals who I think were all doing their best. And I understand that everyone was in the same boat. So I'm not I, I don't I don't mean this to sound as negative as it's about to sound, but there is something. OK, so if I go to a festival and I get up on stage and I read for 20 minutes that is a particular experience where I am drawing energy from the crowd, the actual real crowd that I am reading to and I'm seeing their reactions in real time. And I'm also performing, um, performing really, but in a, right. in a live way. Um, and, uh, and then they pay me, you know, my candid counsel rate for the 20 minute reading. And that is great. And when they're asking me instead to do talk about this, talk about that, do a little 10, five minute writing tips segment for their YouTube channel. And then it stays on their YouTube channel, like 
potentially forever, that's starting to feel a little bit different. It's starting to feel yes. like a little bit of a different uh, contract, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and none of us really clued into that, I think, until we'd been in it for about a year. And all of a sudden, I started to, yeah, have I, I, I found that other writers were asking me what my experience was like. And I said, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about any of this. We, none of us had a choice. And I mean, none of us, like the the festival directors in Canada are all fantastic and, and produce wonderful content. And of course, we all needed to keep things going. But I don't know how anybody feels at the end. I, I know that I feel burnt out by all the video making myself. Right. So that that there was that shift from like, come have this moment in time, this mm-hmm. live appearance where where you get to like meet some of your readers in the flesh and then they have a, they have an evening with you or, you know, yeah. to, hey, help us build up an archive of, you know, reusable content and, you know, please don't mention the date and, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, just that, yeah, the, I guess the contentification of this experience. And we were sort of lucky in that there were things going on live and in person here, like the Woody Point Festival went ahead in person. Um, it was a little bit mitigated in terms of um, uh, numbers, I think, but not even really, um, because things were pretty safe on the island of Newfoundland uh, was the bottom line. Um, and there's another festival out here at Ochre Pit Cove that also went ahead that that I was at last year. Um but that is such a a different experience. Whereas I found the the solo experience of writing video content um, alone in my room, like Bo Burnham, <laughs> uh-huh. and and uh, and filming it was something that uh, drew energy away from me. And whereas getting up on stage and and doing a bit um, is something that makes me feel energized. So it was a real difference in terms of of how I felt at the end of the day, I think. Yeah, the what they but it felt it probably felt a lot like work. Like it just felt like more work. You yeah. did a you did a few years of work and now you're being asked to celebrate that by doing more work. Yeah, and made it hard, I think, because in some ways it was creative work, right? So yes, yeah. made it hard to then turn my focus to a new creative project in a in a way that felt good instead, you know, which is, you know, in a way I just sort of felt panicked about writing a new book in a way that I don't think I did with the last two. You know what I mean? Like or yeah. the last, any of the novels, really. Like I just sort of felt much more worried about pleasing others all of a sudden. And um, and and the retreat had a great life. So as I said, this all sounds much more negative than I mean it to. What I mean for us to do is to, in a completely uh, guilt-free blameless way look at the situation and go oh well, we should really have a conversation about this because th- there's something more interesting and deeper going on because it it took that writers becoming their own marketers thing to like this vast new level have you come to a point where after these four books and four very different books and four very different experiences has that changed your your relationship with the in progress projects where you're like i know this is not going to give me superpowers in the end it's going to be a book it's going to be my book which yeah. is a very different thing from it's going to be everybody's book and everybody's that's going to reflect back on me yeah that's an interesting question i think i've come to that very recently i think that um because of the kind of book i write which is kind of like one foot in the door of 
more literary fiction, but one foot pretty firmly in the door of genre fiction, because what I write are books that are suspense or thriller in, in their ideas and pacing. And mm -hmm. because of that, I, uh, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of very uh, successful thriller writers, some of whom um, are, are great friends um, who are putting out a book every year or every, certainly every two years, but sometimes every year. Um, and, uh, and I think, again, there's some pressure from the industry to, uh, if you're writing a book that, um, is being called a thriller, uh, to do that, <laughs> to do it quicker. Um, and, uh, and that's not what's happened this time. And I, I have like stayed on a schedule with the last three novels. I had one 2015, one 2018, one 2021. Uh, I can tell you right now, it would be an absolute miracle for me to have a book out in 2024. That's not going to happen. Um, and it did worry me. Like it, mm -hmm. so when things kind of went sideways last year, um, and they went sideways for a variety of reasons, um, including, I just kept fucking getting COVID. Um, <laughs> kind of put a, a damper on my ear, to be honest. The uh, having to sort of, I guess, walk away from that idea. Like I thought I was, I thought I should be speeding up, you know, instead of one every three mm. years, should I be putting out a book every two years? Uh, and, um, and all of a sudden I'm kind of looking around and seeing the actual gap between most writers' books. And I'm going, oh, so this is totally allowable. And you also just have to write the book that you want to write. And it's mm. going to appear when it appears. You know, I have two projects that I'm thinking about right now that are in, in different stages. One is actually exists as a novella, and I would like it to be a novel with some other stuff in there. Um, and, uh, and the other one is a novel in draft that, in fact, might actually be two novels, upsettingly. So you may have three projects. Um, well, it's very hard to know at this point. Okay. Nathan. I, I don't want to guarantee anything. Maybe I have zero projects. <laughs> um, but like anything is possible, right? So I'm like, maybe I have zero or maybe I just need to take a big deep breath and take some of the pressure off myself. And then all of a sudden I'll have three manuscripts in a few years. That's also totally possible. I don't know. Um but I think sort of just opening yourself up to that a little bit, you know, when I really don't know what to do, I like to write a short story because I'm like, oh, writing is supposed to be a fun thing. <laughs> <laughs> what Happened Next is produced and edited by me. To let me know what you think of this podcast or to suggest a future guest, please go to the contact page at nathanwhitlock.ca. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.